0: Welcome to Smart Talk, I'm Scott Lamar. Pennsylvania Attorney General Kathleen Kane resigned her office yesterday, two days after a Montgomery County jury found her guilty of charges related to leaking secret grand jury information to a newspaper and then lying about it under oath. Bruce Castor Jr., the first deputy, has been sworn in as acting attorney general and he joins us on the program this morning. General Castor, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for
0: having me. Let me tell our listeners that if you have a question or a comment, 1-800- 729-7532 is the number to call, or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. General, earlier this week when you held the press conference, uh, you said that one of your first jobs would be to restore confidence in and uplift morale in the Office of Attorney General. How do you go about doing that?
1: Well, I, I hope to continue doing what I have been doing since March, uh, and that Within the office, trying to uh, to restore morale and, and uh, give people a sense that that the uh, the executive part of the office is functioning and making decisions and and uh, going about the business that the people expect us to do, uh, we have been trying to publicize the uh, good work that the people in the Attorney General's office have been doing, and uh, that's how I hope to uh, spread that uh, confidence uh, back to the public. But. You know,
0: even though you say that you've been doing that since March, this is hanging over the heads of a lot of people in the attorney general's office. Even though Kathleen Kane was having legal problems, I'd still see press releases put out, usually for an arrest for child pornography or drug charges. Has the job been getting done? Has anything been missed because of what's going on in the
1: office? Well, when I got there, there there were a whole number of things that, had uh, not been resolved because there were issues uh, concerning uh, whether Attorney General Kane had authority to do so and and as as those issues were were unresolved and and people didn't know who had the authority to do what uh, things set but I I worked through that uh, and I would say within three months or so I got everything done that was undone and now we're continuing with cases that, uh, that uh, we have in the pipeline or that we're making now uh, in all areas, um, not just criminal law, but in uh, civil areas as well where we take a proactive approach to consumer protection and and things of that nature and also defending the Commonwealth when it's sued. So right now, um, I would say since roughly the uh, beginning of July, um, I think that if we have things functioning smoothly. I mean, obviously, with the Attorney General under um, uh, suspicion and then indictment, uh, there was a, a bit of a pall that we had to work through, uh, but uh, the Attorney General decided that she couldn't continue uh, after the eviction. I certainly respect that decision, and now the business of the people has to go forward. Because One thing that can't happen is we we can't, we can't stop doing our job or, or you know, chaos will
0: ensue. And I think the bottom line question that many people would have, uh, you know, the, the office has been distracted. And even though you said you've been working on trying to shore that up for the, the last five months or so, have there been laws broken, criminals that have not been prosecuted while all this is going on?
1: I'm sure that there are plenty of criminals in Pennsylvania that have broken laws and that haven't been prosecuted, but none of them are by us. I mean, if we if, if we saw saw a crime, we prosecute did it and do our best to see that they're they're punished. So uh, I don't I don't know that we've uh, that we've lost any cases as a result of that. Uh, in some cases, uh, we lost charges because um, too much time had gone by, uh, but um, in some cases. Those cases had other charges that we were able to to uh, go forward on. So I'm not I'm not aware of any cases that uh, that didn't that went unprosecuted that we knew about. Uh, You
0: know, uh, aside from um, uh, restoring confidence, and you're talking about the public's confidence in the office of attorney general, and then also uh, restoring uh, morale. What's job one for you? I mean, you were sworn in yesterday. Um, you're on your way to Harrisburg this morning as we speak. You're in the car. Uh, what's job one? What are your priorities?
2: Well,
1: the, the immediate priorities are uh, getting organized uh, in a different way, where where um, I have a you know, senior staff that need to be juggled around you know, about to hire people have to review the status of other people, uh, and at the same time have to make, make sure that, uh, that all of the, the things that the general has to do get done, some of that involves working with the uh, the governor and his lawyers and the legislature and their lawyers and other government agencies. I mean, the because, because cases are coming in the pipeline at one end and, and are being resolved at the other end, uh, all the time the there that, that has to be the, the priorities making sure that that continues to flow um, I, I've been in government a long time and my experience has been that public confidence tends to flow from doing your job efficiently and, and well and that and that takes time um, for, for those um, sentiments to, to get out into the into the world like um, do anything it it's reassure people that that I'm on the job and that uh, the professionals in the attorney general's office are continuing to do what what they're paid.
0: Obviously, you know, one of the priorities would be to do just what uh, you had suggested. But what about uh, from a criminal or a civil law uh, aspect of it? Is there anything that uh, now that you are the attorney general that you'd like to put more emphasis on or things that... Uh, you know, that, that, that you would like to take a little bit closer look at?
1: Well, I mean, I never actually thought that I would be in this position, so uh, I haven't had much time to think about it as, as somebody who was elected to be playing. The uh, things that uh, that um, I was working on when I was in the commissioner's office uh, until January, such uh, things like opioid addiction and things of that nature uh, are things that, that in our office I would like to become more involved with um, and uh, maybe address some of those problems that lead over into into criminal cases. When people become addicted to opioids, uh, violate the law, by center, center, uh, using heroin or, or uh, other drugs as a substitute. Uh, that's one area. It, it, uh, the uh, Secretary of... Uh, uh, for uh, drug control programs that uh, Gary Dennis, a friend of mine, from years ago, and uh, I'm hoping that he and I can work together on that particular issue. But right now I I have to deal with the everyday things that, um, that the Attorney General's office has to work on. I, I won't have time to uh, begin initiatives. What I need to do is get the office in shape for whoever succeeds me, uh,
2: uh, and uh,
1: I know that... Uh, That the electorate has two good candidates to choose from, and I want them to come into office without a lot of difficulty, and and know uh, that uh, that they don't have landmines that are going to blow up as soon as they get in there. That's really my primary.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do have an election for those um, most people are aware, Uh, although I shouldn't say that uh, the presidential election gets presidential campaigns get so much attention that sometimes the offices that uh, are down below on the ballot uh, don't get as much. So we will be electing a new attorney general this November. You mentioned Governor Wolf. Governor Wolf could name a replacement. Have you heard from the governor's office about uh, his intentions? Uh,
1: The governor and I have telephone calls but we have not actually had a chance to speak yet um he was uh, as i understand uh, was on vacation or may still be on vacation uh and uh, i did stop over to his office uh to see if he might have been there but he was not so i don't know what the governor's thinking is uh, on it um i assume the governor governor will uh do what he thinks is best and and um i certainly uh will support whatever the governor decides is uh best for the people.
0: Will you make a case to the governor that uh, you would like to stay on the job?
1: Um, I will uh, um, let the governor know that I would like to stay uh, until January or at least until uh, one of the uh, two candidates on the ballot first week of November is uh, is, uh, elected. Um, there's, There's a practical governmental reason and that is the learning curve is very, very steep when you step into the Attorney General's office, even though I had over 30 years in government as a prosecutor and as an administrator, um, it was difficult for me uh, to, uh, to get up to speed. It took several months before I felt like I really had some idea of what went on, and I I think that um, it would be advantageous for the new Attorney General uh, who will be elected uh, to step in with um, knowledge that the that the caretaker um, made the office uh, uh, organized and efficient and, and ready to, to be handed over with, with uh, um, uh, summaries and, and uh, ways that it can be improved and that sort of thing. Um, it takes months for somebody to, to understand it to that extent, and um, I think that's a good government reason. Uh, also, both the candidates are... From my own county, I know them both well and consider them personal friends, and therefore, there would be will be an easy transition. I saw a
0: quote from a law professor yesterday who said, uh, "Confidence cannot be restored in the office while you are the acting attorney general because you were handpicked by Kathleen Kane." How do you respond to that?
1: Well, that's nonsense, of course. I mean, the reason that uh, that uh, former attorney general Kane selected me, simply because there weren't too many people that had the uh, background experience that I have. i had only met her twice, didn't know her at all, and, of course, I'm public. So she made what I believe was a was a calculated governmental decision, and uh, I think that it's much written about the fact that uh, I have taken decisions that uh, were contrary to those that she uh, had espoused the past. So, so um, some law professor somewhere thinks that he certainly tells his opinion. But I happen to think it's unwarranted, it's not based on evidence. In mm.
0: uh, You know, I, um, when I look back over the, the last couple of years, uh, they're not only – Kathleen Kane has not only had uh, legal issues, legal problems, uh, but – and this goes back to morale in the office – but uh, there have been a number of personnel issues. One in particular, uh, Human Resources recommended that uh, – her Chief of Staff, Jonathan Decker – uh, that he not be made chief of chief of staff because there were accusations of sexual harassment. While you're attorney general, do you plan to make any personnel moves?
1: I'm sure that I will. I will make personnel moves. Uh, I, I want to consider everything carefully before I do anything. I've, as you pointed out in the, the lead up to my being on the program, I've, I've been attorney general since five o'clock yesterday, so I haven't exactly had a Time to, to learn all the uh, personnel um, matters that occurred before I arrived. Uh, I started uh, in March and I started moving forward thinking things for, that needed to be done right away. And uh, I'm not as familiar with the uh, in, intricacies of, of some of the personnel. I would be reviewing all of those things and thinking But I believe that the uh, decisions that are best. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm
0: hitting several issues here. Uh, Joshua Morrow, who worked with the attorney general, the former attorney general, he testified last week under a grant of immunity uh, that uh, he conspired with uh, Kane to blame someone else for leaking that secret grand jury information. You suggested the other day that you may look into that as whether he can be prosecuted or not, even though he was granted immunity. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, I it was more of a theoretical. Uh, somebody asked me a question about it at the press conference, and I had just begun reading the stories about the case because uh, I was forbidden from doing so while I, uh, I was uh, first deputy and uh, solicitor general. So I, I read a statement in the newspaper where uh, – that somebody asked uh, mr Morrow whether he could say anything he wanted that not face prosecution and he answered that he uh, uh, knew that he couldn't face any prosecution and as a matter of law I'm not so sure that that's true and so I was responding to a reporter's question um, the fact that my skepticism uh, like in that area has been reported might be enough uh, for uh, the message to have a uh, Reached the uh, people who did know the judge, the prosecutor, and the uh, lawyers in that case, because i um, the as I understood what the newspaper article said, um, Mr. Morrow had told various lies under oath and had lied to the police um, in front of the uh, statewide investigating branch, uh, and theoretically, the prosecuting entities for any such. Um, lies would be the district attorney in the county in which the grand jury sat, but because it was a statewide investigating grand jury, but also the attorney general. And um, Attorney General Kane, being the target of the case, would be conflicted out, as would the office. But once she no longer was there, uh, I think it would be a possibility that um, the new attorney general, myself or somebody preceding me, could um, Review that case because immunity is only immunity for what the person says in court. Um, in this case the trial last week you can't use what was said against them uh, or anything derived from it. But if uh, police, either in Montgomery County or elsewhere, would make a case against him or anyone else, granted, it's going to be. Uh, based on evidence other than what they said in the trial uh, they could be prosecuted. and um, if mr the point I was trying to make was if mr Borrow was mis un- was under the misimpression uh, that he couldn't be uh, ever prosecuted by anyone um, then that might have affected um, his ability to testify and I wanted the I wanted the People involved in that case to know that that, that at least on the surface that appears to be an issue that they might want to uh, to look at. Um, I have no intention of looking at it any further than I already have.
0: So, just to clarify, you're not looking unless the people in Montgomery County decide to do that.
1: Well, I would think that the district attorney would um, would review that issue. You see, the 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 credibility or the or the extent of um, Mr. Morrow's testimony uh, would depend on what he thought um, his own legal situation was. And if, if they're confident that, that he's right in that point, that uh, he can't be prosecuted, uh, then that would end the matter. But if they're not confident about it, um, the, uh, the prosecutors have to decide what to do about it.
0: And as I told you, I'm jumping around since we have this opportunity. By the way, is this your first broadcast interview since uh, being sworn in? Yes. It is. Okay. Well, then, <laughs> I I said one of in my promotions because I didn't know for sure. So I can actually say you're first now. Um, you're still in private practice, correct?
1: Well, yeah. Technically, I, have a, I don't get to spend any time doing it, um, but I have a, a very – small group of clients that um, obviously depend on my services, uh, and I'm hoping to return to them um, when all this is done. But yes, I mean, I, I had retired from the government in January, expecting that I never would return, and it lasted all of two months. (laughs) Well, I
0: mentioned that. I asked that question because it is unusual when uh, someone goes to the attorney general's office, they, they remain in private practice, although you do have a bit of a different situation. Now, I have to tell you that when I promoted that you'd be on the show today, I received several emails asking whether you plan to continue to represent Center County District Attorney Stacy Parks Miller. Uh, she had been accused of forging a judge's signature for a wiretap, using a Facebook profile to communicate with defendants. Uh, she also brought you on as a special assistant. Uh, the questions that I had received to ask you was, do you plan to stay on with that role?
1: Well, our firm certainly uh, continues to represent uh, District Attorney Parks Miller and as needed, I will uh, I will participate in that. Um, I mean, it's a- unlikely that I'll be attorney general for more than a few months at the most. So, I don't think it's reasonable that um, that I should disengage completely from uh, our firm, considering the situation that I'm in, as opposed to um, if I were spending a, a term or more as a- attorney general. Uh, but if we have very capable lawyers at our firm who will most of the heavy lifting in, in that case. Um, I mean the, the accusations that you just recounted, those are all over I mean, that's that over more than a year ago. Uh, now it's mostly uh, offensive uh, action that she's taking against those who falsely accused her.
0: But I guess the the question is and and I don't think recuse is the right way but will you be involved in the case while you are attorney general and is there any kind of conflict with the attorney general being involved in a local case like that well as you said the cases are over but still even the appearance
1: well the every case we that our firm takes we have to be careful to make sure that there is no conflicts um and uh uh, if I'm trying to remember, the, the attorney general's office had given me written instructions on how to deal with the issue with center County. Um, and I'll, I will continue to follow those, but it had something, it had something to do with, um, uh, any governmental decision involving the, the, uh, uh, current and former members of the government there, uh, I can't be involved in, um, as Attorney General, uh, and, um, you know, there, there, are, there are rules in, that govern attorney's conduct, and I have to make sure that, that I don't want to follow those, and I have lawyers that advise me on, on how to do that, and uh, hopefully I won't, I won't um, violate any rules. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so overall, and, and I'm not just talking about the center county, I'm talking about the office. What's next? You get to the office today. You talked earlier about what you want to do, but looking down the road a little bit, what do you want to do?
1: Well, I mean, the I know it sounds mundane, but there are a whole lot of things I have to sign when I get to work that transfer authority from uh Former Attorney General came to me to be able to function as the as the state chief law enforcement official, even if it's only for a few weeks or a few months. I mean, uh, the earlier in the week, um, you might have seen that that um, Governor Wolf uh, borrowed uh, 1.2 billion dollars uh, by selling bonds. I had to sign papers uh, on that before I left work yesterday, so that that would go through. Um, so there's a whole lot of routine government bureaucracy that has to be handled just the right way in order for the, the, great, the great ship of the government of, of, uh, of Pennsylvania can go forward. So that's what I'll be doing when I first get to work is signing a bunch of forms.
0: And Pennsylvania's acting attorney, General Bruce Castor, in his first broadcast interview since taking office. I want to thank you very much for being with us today, and good luck.
1: Okay, thank you very much.
0: You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. This was Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump in Altoona last Friday. Is everybody here voting?
2: If you do that, if you do that, we're not going to lose. The only way we can lose, in my opinion, I really mean this, Pennsylvania, is if cheating goes on. I really believe it. Because I looked at Erie, and it was the same thing as this. And I've been all over the state, and I know the state well. I know the state well. But let me just tell you, I looked all over Pennsylvania, and I'm studying it, and we have some great people here, some great leaders here of the Republican Party, and they're very concerned about that. And that's the way we can lose the state. And we have to call up law enforcement, and we have to have the sheriffs, and the police chiefs and everybody watching, because if we get cheated out of this election, if we get cheated out of a win in Pennsylvania, which is such a vital state, especially when I know what's happening here, folks. I know she can't beat what's happening here. The only way they can beat it, in my opinion, and I mean this 100%, if in certain sections of the state they cheat.
0: Well, that was Donald Trump last Friday in Altoona. So the merit of what Trump had to say, can cheating or fraud occur at the ballot box? That's the topic of uh, this segment of the program. Joining us on the show today is Philadelphia City Commissioner Lisa Dealey. Commissioner Dealey, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you very much. Also joining us is Jerry Fieser, Dauphin County's Director of Elections and Voter Registration. Jerry, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Scott. Good morning. Good morning,
4: Commissioner. Good morning.
0: All right. If you have a question or a comment, one eight hundred seven two nine seven five three two. Send an email to SmartTalk at w i t f dot org. All right. Well, I'm going to start uh, with your reactions to what you ha- what you just heard from Donald Trump, Commissioner Daly. What did you think?
4: Well, certainly, you know, it's it's alarming to hear um, a national candidate make a charge such as that. But we are confident in Philadelphia that you know we there would be you know no. Uh, Stealing of elections or miscalculation of votes uh, in such an important election. We have a long history of uh, making elections go off without a hitch, and we're going to continue down that uh, our long history and with another successful election in Philadelphia.
3: Jerry
0: Fieser, what about
3: Dauphin County? Um, you know, we have a great team of uh, election poll workers out there, the judges, the inspectors, the clerks. Machine operators. We train them twice a year before each election, and we offer remedial training for for new um, election workers. They're all ready to go as far as the machines and the security of the machines. Uh, they're second to none, um, and we are we're confident that we will run a, a free, free fair and election as we ha- always have in Dolphin County.
0: Well, Jerry Fieser, you're at a conference right now in State College of other uh, elections officials from across the state. And I have to say that's bad that's timing correct. for uh, us here in the media trying to find out what uh, you had to say. <laughs> but anyway, so you're only with us for a few minutes, so I did want to ask the safeguards that are in place here right. in Dauphin County, and then Commissioner, I'll come to you and to talk about Philadelphia, but what safeguards are there in place to keep cheating from going on
3: well I mean first of all some of the discussions been about hacking into the computers and things like that um, we use the same voting machines and the same system that uh, Philadelphia does they're they're not connected to the internet they're offline they are self-contained voting machines so you can't hack into these things as far as the security of the machines that are all properly tested for uh, logic and accuracy before the elections the machines are then sealed. Numbers are recorded on statement sheets that the judge then compares to at the beginning of the morning. And they also run a zero proof tape showing that there are no votes recorded on that machine prior to the election. Uh, we also have poll watchers. Uh, and poll watchers are uh, entitled to be in the room from the beginning of the morning when they turn on the lights to the last moment when they turn off the lights at the end of the night and watch the entire process. We give watcher certificates routinely to both the Republican and Democratic parties. They're entitled to have poll watchers at every precinct in Dauphin County. And we also uh, provide them to candidates upon request so that they too can have uh, the proper number of poll watchers at each of the polling places that they choose to do.
0: Commissioner, what about the city of Philadelphia?
4: Well, as uh, just was stated our philly's voting machines they cannot um be hacked they're not connected to the internet they're self-connected um they're self-contained and in the morning the uh election board staff comes in they open the machine they they run a tape that has zero count they all sign that they see zero and then the, the election commences and at the end of the night they close the machine the tape uh there's an opportunity again for them to see the tape with the votes counted and registered and again there's an opportunity for them to sign uh that actual tape to say that they did see both the zero and the closing number um and we, you know we train as well our election board staff um they they're trained we have a poll worker inspectors that go out throughout the day in our various wards throughout the throughout the city to make sure that the machines are operating properly, that there's no problems, we have uh, our techs out on the street all day long, ensuring that our machines are operating properly. And if we have any, if any of our poll workers, if any of our election board have any questions, they they can call us. They have cell phones at their disposal. They can reach us at any time for any questions. You know, we are we run, you know accurate, safe, fair elections in Philadelphia, and we're going to continue to do so.
0: I want to follow up on that in a few minutes after uh, Jerry Fieser leaves us, but uh, Commissioner Dealey, you know, one of the things that uh, Donald Trump mentioned in that sound clip uh, was having police officers, having uh, sheriff's deputies there watching the polls. Uh, both of you have described how there are poll watchers, but What about the prospect of police officers, law enforcement, being at the polls to watch to make sure nothing goes wrong?
3: Under state law, a uniformed law enforcement officer is not allowed to be within 100 feet of a polling place, and that was put in many years ago because of perceived intimidation in that situation. Uh, Deputy sheriffs are generally the first law enforcement if they are called to a polling place. But of course, police also have jurisdiction outside the polling place if they are called there because of a disturbance uh, or something like that. But those, again, they're they're very um, specific on who is calling and when they're called to a polling place. But uh, you know, state law prohibits uniform law enforcement, local police, state police from being within 100 feet of a polling place unless that officer is there to cast their own personal ballot.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, Jerry Feezer, I'm going to let you go back to back to the conference, and I'm sure you're going to and have to. One a... other
3: thing I would like to add, too, Scott, okay. you know, All as right, the go commissioner ahead. was saying, I was thinking about some of the other safeguards we have in place. During the day, the numbered list of voters, in other words, when you walk into a poll, first thing they do is they put your name down on a numbered list of voters, and it tells you how many voters have come in the poll at that time. That routinely throughout the day can be compared to the number of votes cast on each machine because there's a little uh, uh, number that will rotate on the back of the machines throughout the day and you add up how many of those votes have been cast on the machine compared to the numbered list of voters so you know that those machines don't have more votes than there have been voters mm.
0: hey jerry thank you very much for being with us today
3: thank you scott thank,
0: thank you commissioner
4: thank you have a great day
0: commissioner we're getting uh, a number of phone calls so i want to take one here and this is uh, anticipating one of the questions i wanted to ask you matt is in york matt you're on the air
5: Hey, thank you. Thanks for taking my call, definitely. Uh, The question I have is, looking back at the 2008 presidential election, I mean, it it was widely reported that President Obama received 100% of the vote in Philadelphia County. I know very many Republicans that are in South Philadelphia, Northeast Philadelphia, and that went and voted, and and to, to have it reported that not a single Republican vote was cast in Philadelphia, I, it was like, is this some sort of a horrible joke? But I'll tell you what, it really has set up the the idea that there is widespread election fraud and abuse by the Democratic Party, especially knowing, too, that in some of the precincts there were people that were supposedly Black Panther types that were standing outside the polls. So police officers aren't allowed to get within 100 feet, but these other individuals now in a reversal are also uh, you, you, there's some sort of discrimination taking place, or some sort of uh, intimidation? I'm not I, discrimination. Intimidation is well. taking place. So, can you address that that uh, that idea, yeah. commissioner? That well, story that there was
1: on the for Romney in Philadelphia.
0: Matt, let me follow up on that because what you said there were some inaccuracies in there. Uh it was not 2008, it was uh, 2012 and it was uh, Mitt Romney and it wasn't the entire city of Philadelphia. There were 59 voting divisions that did not cast a single vote for uh, Mitt Romney. Uh, Now, Commissioner, uh, you know, many people look at that. Sean Hannity, the uh, conservative Fox News talk show host, has been talking about this. You know, many people look at that and say, well, that sounds impossible that the the Republican did not get a single vote. And that's why it's been getting the tension. But there is an explanation. I have seen the explanation. And what is it?
4: Well, first of all, Let me just say, in Philadelphia, we use the term division, which denotes oftentimes a larger area than it actually is. The more commonly used term is precinct. So in Philadelphia, we use the term division to um, categorize a very small area within a ward, which could be about five to six blocks. Our divisions by state law um, cannot be larger than 12 – cannot have more than 1,200, so – the average size of a division is probably about 700 active voters. So when you look at the 2012 election um, in, a, in a city where the Democrats, Democrats-Republican re, uh, voter registration ratio is 8 to 1, so you take a historic election in a Democratic city, it really isn't that hard to believe that in um, – Fifty-eight divisions, which are about six blocks long, that there were no Republican voters for the Republican candidate. It sounds, out, you know, it sounds unbelievable, but when you break it down to, you know, where it was, then and and the the uh, enormity and the difference in the registration, you can understand that it isn't really. It's not really that unbelievable.
0: From what I saw, I I have to admit that when I first heard that statistics, I was one of those who was very skeptical as well. But then when I I did read about it, I mean, there were some of those divisions where there were 17 registered Republicans. And when you said a historic election, what you're referring to is that uh, President Obama, first African-American president, and we're talking mostly about african-american voters not a lot of registered republicans correct correct again it does still seem hard that that many divisions but a division is different than a a precinct yeah but you are confident that that was on the up and up
4: i am absolutely confident and i'm sure you know and i and i believe in in i mind you i was not the uh, commissioner at the time but in doing some research you know, to be able to answer these questions and, and certainly for this interview, it seems that um, there was research done after the fact by a professor at Loyola University and other people where they canvassed the uh, divisions, some of the divisions in question. And they went to some of these Republican uh, households and asked people, and basically they, there was no proof that there was any Republican votes that were not counted that were cast.
0: You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We'll take more phone calls right after this. Our guest during this portion of the program is Philadelphia City Commissioner Lisa Dealy. We're talking about uh, comments made by Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump last week that he said the only way he loses Pennsylvania is if cheating goes on. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Excuse me, I should say you could go on uh, Facebook. WITS Facebook page and uh, leave a question or a comment. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Before we take phone calls, Commissioner, something that uh, Matt also mentioned about the the Black Panthers, uh, and I don't remember which election this was, but the, there were people who described themselves as Black Panther Party members that uh, were there to make sure that uh, the, that African-Americans were able to vote, were not being intimidated, but there were a lot of people at the time who said, well, they were intimidating to, to other voters out there. Um, how do you keep something like that from happening?
4: Well, in Philadelphia, when we have um, an issue with that, like that that occurs, we um, would turn that right over to the district attorney, and the district attorney's office in Philadelphia would investigate um, any charge of intimidation at the polling, at the polling place did that occur as i said i was not um elected at the time so i, I wouldn't be fair for me to speak about that because i don't i to my knowledge it did not occur but i wasn't here then
0: mm-hmm. all right let's take uh some more phone calls let's go to linda in cornwall linda you're on the air
5: oh hello scott Hi. thanks for taking my call yes, you're welcome uh... i have been a poll watcher in lebanon county for a number of years Uh, there have been republican poll watchers and democratic poll watchers and
0: poll watchers for the presidential candidates and i can assure the listeners that
1: as long as the poll watchers are there they are very alert and they make sure that all things are going well even if uh... There are people who have suspicions
0: about the official election process. Hmm. So you're confident then that no cheating can go on or has gone on? Not as long as there are poll watchers there who are paying attention. All right. Thank you very much for your call. And, Commissioner, you know, when we're talking about the city of Philadelphia and the place in Lebanon County, Cornwall, that has a population of just a few thousand people, a smaller polling place, you know, you can look at that and say, well, there are many more voters, many more people coming in and out of the polls. Is it as simple as what Linda just described in the city?
4: It really is, um, because, for, first of all, our poll our poll workers, our election board workers, they really take that job very seriously. It's a very long day, and anybody that says that there or there's fraud going on in our polling stations, basically what they're saying is they're making a charge against our elected um, election boards. And, you know, really that's unfair. So we – in order for votes to be stolen in any of these uh, divisions that we're talking about, it would take a large number of people all on the same – Team in an effort to rig the system, because as was stated earlier, when you come in to vote, you walk up to the to the table and you give them your name. They pull your name, that little slip out of the box. They give you a number. You're assigned that number. Your number. You say you come in at 8 o'clock in the 8:30 in the morning. Your number 42. That number is then written on your in the poll book next to where you sign to say I'm here. And I'm here to I'm present and I'm here to vote and I'm signing this poll register slip now you sign and that forty two is again written on the book and then that slip, which was handed to the to the clerk that has the poll book, is now handed to another worker who is writing that your name and your number in two lists of uh voting uh, voters so that number and now As soon as you walked in, it was in the box on the paper, it's in the poll book, and now it's written by a poll worker in two lists of voters' books. So it's four times just at that table that your number that you were given upon entrance to the polling place has been copied. So in order – and that 42 has to match the number of votes on the machine. So in order for any fraud to occur, it has to be – a big conspiracy amongst the entire staff in that polling place to all be on board to either increase that number or decrease that number because at the end of the day, the number in the book is not going to match the number on the machines.
0: What happens if those numbers don't match?
4: If those numbers don't match, in a lot of cases, we will go out and investigate if there's an over-under um, on the vote and the book. And we can tell whether there were no votes or if possibly there was a, a – somebody vote didn't – they then pushed push the green button or they pushed it twice. And, you know, those those small instances are always, uh, you know, investigated and, and accounted for. But they're, it's never in, in such a large number where we're going to see 100 overvotes or undervotes.
0: I mean, let's face it, uh, every election doesn't go perfectly Correct. or even smoothly that, uh, you know, with so with so many people voting across the state, uh, in the city, uh, that not everything, you know, works out perfectly. When does the, a red flag come up in your mind? Is it just what you described when there's a 100 overvotes or something like that?
4: When there's a large number of over- overvotes or if we've gotten reports— of you know suspicious goings on in, in a polling location, but let me also say it's a federal election, so anybody caught in any any conspiracy or anything of that nature would face federal charges. And quite you know, quite frankly, we have a, our election board staff. They're making you know pittance for for a full days for a 13-hour day. I don't. I mean, I you know, for someone to to face the prospect of federal charges. To you know, for a hundred votes for a, a nationwide candidate, they're never going to see or know. Is you know, it's, it's an outrageous claim. All
0: right, let's take a call from Michael in Harrisburg. Michael, you're on the air. Yes, can
4: you hear me? Yeah, we
0: can.
1: Um, I'm calling um, about the. Uh, uh, it seems that there's a scenario here uh, that's being played out uh, by uh, the Trump campaign and even even uh, a larger one by the GOP uh, concerning voter fraud or whatever it may be. Uh, but more, more so with this election, it seems like the scenario that's being set forth uh, is almost trying to prepare the way for a potential loss or even uh, to, to cause uh, disruption to the whole election process. And uh, I just wanted to, to know if that's been something that's really been explored by election officials uh, to really, really shut it down, uh to make sure that, that this initiative uh, is exposed to what it really is. All
0: right. Thank you very much for your call. There have been these accusations, Commissioner, and I don't know whether you're in a position to comment on uh, what motives are, but something you said very early on when we spoke is that questioning the whole process, I mean, this questions our whole democracy. Indeed. And, you know, it takes confidence away from it.
4: It it really does, and in a time when we know that our voter participation, you know, is really poor, you know, nationwide, we need to do a better job of getting people engaged and participating in the vote. People need to own their vote, and they need to get out there and be engaged. and And campaigns that uh, promote this kind of uh, negativity about the process and make people think that it's somewhat crooked or it doesn't really matter or you know, somehow your your vote or your what you think is not going to be properly accounted for, it just chips away at an already you know hurt system. Yeah, we so a- we we need to do all that we can, and and it isn't unusual for precincts such as the ones in Philadelphia to see uh, where no one votes Republican for a presidential candidate. I mean, it you know it has happened. Anybody that does a little research and, you know, does their homework would find out that it is not unusual.
0: We had a call from a listener, didn't want to stay on the line, but wanted to ask how absent B ballots, uh, absentee ballots uh, can be validated. And also wanted to know if it is allowable for people to stand outside the polling places. And we do know the answer to that, but maybe you can uh, be a little more specific on that.
4: Well, there's there are two questions. First of all, um People can stand outside of the polling place and, um, you know, encourage other people to vote for their candidate of choice. Um, they need to remain 10 feet away from the actual polling location. So we can't have people standing at the door or on top of the table, you know, um, trying to per- per- uh, persuade voters. We also don't allow any election paraphernalia within the uh, polling location. And what I mean by that is any uh, partisan paraphernalia for any candidates or anything like that. None of that is allowed in the polling location itself. No buttons, no hats, no shirts, nothing that um, would indicate any partisanship inside the polling place. And with regard to the absentee ballots, our absentee ballots are um, not at our polling locations any longer. So if, if a person comes in and... And vote and say they applied for an absentee ballot and they voted absentee ballot, and then their circumstances change on election day. They come in to vote. Our uh, election board workers have a list of voters in that division that have already voted absentee, but at any time during the course of the day, if that voter decides that they um, their circumstance has changed and they're able to vote in person, they present their name to the Poll worker, and they'll tell and they let them know that they have already voted absentee. Their absentee ballot then is uh, voided, and that vote does not count.
0: Let's take a call from Robert in Camp Hill. Robert, you're on the air.
5: Good morning. 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 I appreciate you taking my call. You're welcome. Uh, A group, non political group called Judicial Watch, has documented multiple violations of the voting code in numerous places. I don't have any specific information on Pennsylvania, but this typically involves a that would preclude any intervention by poll watchers and my question based on this to the young lady here today would be
4: how and how often
5: in Pennsylvania are the voter voter registration rolls purged of moved and dead voters Thank you
0: all right thank you very much. This has always been one of the big uh, uh, the big accusations is that dead people voted
4: yeah well you know there is a t- state law that allows or disallows us to purge um, deceased voters from the rolls. So a person would not have to vote in five, for five years before they are purged from the, our, our rolls.
0: But how do you keep track to make sure that someone doesn't take on a fake identity, that of a dead person?
4: How do we make sure that a person doesn't take on a fake identity of a dead person?
0: Yeah. I mean, meaning, you know, again, this has been... uh, If
4: there's an an inactive voter, if a person is deceased, they become inactive after they miss... Any voter becomes inactive after they miss five years of election. So a person would have to know that who the person is that is deceased. They'd have to know their date of birth, their social security number, their driver's license. They'd have to have some form of identification to reactivate their voting rights. In other words, when they go to vote, because they're inactive, they would have to show some form of identification to have them be able to go vote
0: yeah and I only have about 30 seconds left and I'd like to follow up on that but I'm not going to have time uh, because I did want to point out that that sounds like it could happen but Commissioner I want to thank you very much for joining us today can you leave our audience uh, and especially though you know when they're viewing the city of Philadelphia you feel confident that what Donald Trump suggested cannot happen
4: I feel 150% confident that what mr. Trump Um, is saying can happen and cannot happen. And I would just say that to all your listeners, don't let anyone discourage you from taking the opportunity to go out and participate in this election and every election. It's the most important job that you can do.
0: Philadelphia City Commissioner Lisa Dealey, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Coming up tomorrow, Brad Bumstead talks a little bit more about Kathleen Kane and other corruption in Pennsylvania.